Amen. We'll go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning to Kids Church. I think it's interesting. Uh, Brother Glenn and Miss Mona have been back uh, all of two weeks, and we're already putting them to work. Uh, so great uh, to see them, and uh, I know that they have been missed. Uh, they'll be with us for a few more weeks, uh, so we'll continue to pray for him as he uh, continues to finish out his treatment here. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25, as we continue to walk through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, this has been a journey uh, that we have been walking through. We've seen, we've seen the book of uh, Samuel unfold. We've seen God begin with the blessing of Samuel to Hannah. We've seen the sin of the sons of Eli, we've, we've walked through the anointing of Saul, God giving them a king like all the other nations, we've seen uh, the rebuke of Saul and God removing the anointing, the anointing of David, we've seen the slaughter of, and the destruction of uh, Goliath of Gath, and we've seen David running for his life now for uh, the last several chapters. And we're going to continue in 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is a long excerpt. Uh, again, I want to remind you uh, that I'll be preaching on the whole text, but for brevity's sake, I'm not going to read the whole text. That doesn't mean that you get a pass. Uh, the whole text is what we're going to be talking about. You need to be familiar with the text. Uh, read all of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, and so... This morning I'm going to read certain sections, but I want to remind us that the message this morning is coming from the whole of 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to begin reading in verse 2. Now there was a man in Moan whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it came about that while he was shearing his sheep in Carmel, now the man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. The woman was intelligent, beautiful in appearance, but the man was harsh and evil in his dealings, and he was a Calebite. And that David heard that in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and visit Nabal, and greet him in my name. Skip down to verse 9. When David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in David's name, and then they waited. But Nabal answered. They answered David's servant and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are each breaking away from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give to men whose origin I do not know? So David's young men return, uh, retract, retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to all these words. And David said to his men, Each one of you gird his sword. So each man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. About 400 men went up behind David, while 200 stayed with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David has sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Verse 18, then Abigail hurried 
and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and a hundred clusters of raisin and 200 cakes and figs and loaded them on the donkey. Verse 28. Skip down to verse 28. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in all of your days. And should anyone rise up to pursue you and seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lies of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And it shall come about when the Lord shall do for my Lord according to all of the good that has spoken concerning you. It shall appoint you ruler over all of Israel that this will not cause grief or troubled heart to my Lord, both having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord shall deal well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Let's pray. God, as we see your providence, as we see your sovereign restraint, uh, may we be grateful. May we be grateful that you keep us from ourselves. Lord, this morning, may we see the deceit and the wickedness and the sinfulness that lies within our own heart. And may we trust in your goodness and your grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that as you leave this place today, that you will will embrace the providence of God's restraint. So many times we see providence as something that God has provided for us, and indeed it is. But sometimes the providence of God is revealed in what He keeps from us, not necessarily what He gives to us. So let me, let me take just a few moments and summarize the story for you, because if you're not familiar with the story, if you've read the few excerpts, you're like, okay, preacher, what in the world is going on? Well, David has been running for his life for several chapters, and last week we looked at David was, was in the cave hiding for his life and God brings Saul right into the very cave where David is hiding and Saul goes into the cave to cover his feet and while Saul goes into the cave to cover his feet to, to relieve himself, David shows tremendous restraint and does not kill Saul but rather goes out and demonstrates to him that look, I had the opportunity to kill you but I showed restraint and I kept myself because I do not want... To, to shed blood, I do not want to, to remove from God, I do not want to remove from power the one whom God has placed in power until it is appointed time and God will avenge me. God will avenge and God's, God's, God's justice is better than my justice. God's judgment and God's wrath is better than my judgment and my wrath. So this, you fast forward just a little bit and David is still, he is hiding in the wilderness because he still doesn't trust Saul, and he hears that a very wealthy man, one of his own family, one of of his own Israelites, is shearing his sheep. It is is now the time of prophet. 
And so David sends messenger. He said, go ask Nabal. Because after all, a few months ago, you know, the, the Philistines were, were in and around this area. And I sent my men to protect his sheep, to protect his shepherds, so that he could enjoy this time of harvest. Go ask him for some provisions. Tell him that, that, that while your sheep and while your shepherds were in the wilderness, I protected them. And I would like, as payment, I would like some, some food. I'd like some grain. I would like some of the profits that you are now enjoying. So David sends word, and the boss says, I'm not giving you any of my money. Are you crazy? I don't even... I mean, you, you, have, you have abandoned Saul, you have left the king, you have, you have deserted your post. I'm not giving you anything. And so David didn't take kindly to that. So David, he tells his men, he said, get, get your swords. We're going to go show Nabal who this David son of Jesse actually is. And so they gird their swords and a servant runs ahead communicates to Abigail, says, look, I know that you had nothing to do with this, just letting you know it's about to get ugly. Things are about to get bad. David is on his way with 400 soldiers, and they are about to annihilate and destroy everyone and everything in Nabal's household. You need to go ahead and and get out of here. You need to go ahead and get out of here. Get out of town. This is going to end badly. Abigail, being the, the wise intelligent, discerning woman that she was. She gathers as much provisions as she could. She loads it onto her donkey and she goes and she meets David and falls before his face and says, David, I know that you are God's anointed king. I know that he has protected you and will continue to protect you. Don't do what you're about to do. What you're about to do, not only is it in contrary to God's word, it will, bring, it will bring calamity upon you and upon your, your, your people. This is, this is not what you want to do. David, through the providence of Abigail, has a light bulb moment and says, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't want to do this. I want to wait on God's judgment. I want to wait on God's wrath. I don't want to take wrath into my own hands. I need to show restraint. Thank you. Thank you, God, for sending this woman to me. Thank you, God, for keeping me from myself. That's what has taken place in chapter 25. And so I want to, I want, I believe that there are some some truths, some nuggets that we can extract from this text. So I want to look at those this morning. First of all, first of all, before we ever get to, before we ever get to to God's providence and God's uh, God's providence and keeping David from himself, I want us to look at how things began. This whole event, this whole episode takes place because David didn't get his way. If we go back and we look at the text, David has he's performed a service, as far as he's concerned, he's performed a service for Nabal. Nabal is a wealthy man. The scripture tells us that, that, that he was shrewd, he dealt harshly with people, but that he was extremely wealthy. Does anybody know anybody like that? They got a lot of money and they got a lot of stuff, but they're just a jerk. Anybody ever know anybody like that? I, I, I know I have. 
I know I have, and, and, and you want to be nice to those people because they got a lot of stuff, right? You want to be nice to those people because maybe just by being nice to them, hey, some of it, you know, it, you know, just, just by the, the sheer of being around these people, I may be able to, I may be able to glean something, right? But the more you're nice to them, the more you're like, man, these people are just jerks. That wasn't the ball. He was extremely wealthy, but he was just a jerk. The name Nabal actually means fool. So this guy's name was idiot. Moron. Fool. That, that, that is his name. So don't name your child Nabal. Just if, you know, I know we've got a lot of expectant mothers in, in here. Uh, so you know, as, you're, as you're looking for names, Nabal is not a good one. Not, not, not something you want to land on. So, so David, in his mind, he has protected the wealth of this, of this, of this, his fellow countryman, a fellow Judean. He is from the tribe of Caleb. And so he sends word. He said, look, you know, the Philistines were here just a few months ago when we protected your sheep, we protected your shepherds. Could you, could you please give us some stuff? We're hiding in caves up here, running for our lives. And Nabal said, I'm not giving you anything. And David he got indignant. He said, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I am the future king of Israel? Don't you know that I am the son of Jesse? Don't you know that I received from the prophet Samuel the anointing from God? I am entitled to this. Things didn't go how David planned. We have a tendency to believe and think that we are entitled. We have a tendency to believe and to think that we deserve things. The reality of Scripture is the only thing we deserve is the wrath of God. The only thing we deserve is to be given over to our sinful desires. The only thing we deserve is to suffer the consequence for our sin. But we live in a world where we are entitled. And if we don't, if we don't have housing, then somebody should give us housing. If we don't have a car, somebody should give us a car. If we don't have enough money to pay our bills, somebody should give us enough money to pay our bills. We live in an entitlement generation. And we live in a world, we live in a world where we are told to look out for number one. We are told that, 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 that we need to take all we can and we need to can all we can take. We need to, to just, it's, it's up to us. This is the American way. We should take what's ours. Nobody's going to give it to you, so take yours. This is not what Scripture teaches. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus in speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, gives some very specific instructions to his followers. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39 through 41, I want you to see what Jesus said. Verse 38, he said, You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Justice, right? But in verse 35, I'm sorry, verse 39, Jesus said, I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him, your right cheek, turn to him also the left. And if anyone wants to sue you, if anyone wants to take stuff from you, 
anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever wants to force you to go one mile, go with him too. That flies in the face of the American dream. That flies in the face of our entitlement generation. Things didn't go the way David wanted. David didn't get what he thought he was entitled to. So what was David's response? I'll show him. I'll take matters into my own hands. I'm going to get what's coming to me. I'm going to take what I want. After all, I'm entitled to this. I'm the future king of Israel. Have we ever had that mindset? Have we ever been been just really hacked off because things didn't go our way? So you know what? We're going to take matters into our own hand. Maybe there was a maybe there was a promotion that we absolutely deserve, and we got passed over because of, because of this extenuating circumstance or that extenuating circumstance, that, that you know what, I am entitled to this. I deserve this. And whenever it didn't go my way, well, we take matters into our own hands. And we march up to human resources, or we go talk to our boss, or we go do whatever we need to do, because after all, I was entitled. I deserved this. Instead of realizing that the providence of God may be protecting and preserving us from ourselves. I want us to notice something else. I want us to notice the unorthodox means of God's restraint. David is on his way to take matters into our own to take matters into his own hand. He is on his way to ex- to exercise his own vengeance. It's interesting, chapter 25 happens right after chapter 24, where David shows tremendous restraint. God, by his own men, said, God has given the king into your hands. He's there. In fact, somewhat vulnerable. He's in there relieving himself. God has given you into his hands. And David shows tremendous restraint understanding that David said that David understood that God said vengeance is mine saith the Lord I will repay I will exercise judgment in my time David shows tremendous restraint interestingly enough in chapter 25 the circumstances change just a little and David does not show restraint in fact he becomes the aggressor and so God sends providence in a very unorthodox way first of all it would have been completely out of the norm for the wife of Nabal to gather for herself all of these provisions behind her husband's back this would have been something that she could have been killed for to go behind her husband's back to gather up all these provisions and give it away she is essentially stealing from her husband, and she's doing so in his ignorance. This is something she takes tremendous, uh, she is tremendously bold and tremendously brave in doing this because this could have put her life in jeopardy. She takes this and she approaches Abigail, the wife of the enemy of David. At this point, Nabal is the enemy of David, and she approaches David. David is the future king of Israel. He is the anointed one of God. And he is, she is being, he is being approached by a woman. 
In the ancient Near East, this is something that is never done. A woman would never, ever approach a man, let alone someone in the position of David. She approaches David, and she says, David, don't do this. This is not going to end well. But not only that, I want us to notice the obscurity of the providence of God. Look at chapter, look at chapter 14, I believe it is. Uh, 1, Samuel, uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let me get back there. First Samuel chapter 25, verse 14. But one of the young men, one of David's servants, one of the young men, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. We don't know who this guy is. He is, he is a nameless servant. He is the definition of obscurity. But, Had this man not gone before David and not approached Abigail, then David would have marched into Nabal's household, would have marched in there, and he would have killed Nabal and everyone and everything in his household. But this obscure servant shows up. And God used this nameless servant to convey a message to a woman who would intercede on behalf of God. It's interesting that we see all throughout Scripture a minor character play a major role in the providence of God. If God can speak through this nameless servant, if God can speak through Balaam's ass, if God can speak through Someone as insignificant and as as inconsequential as this nameless servant, God can use an obscure character to do major impact on the kingdom of God. Most of us will never be David. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that in this congregation, that there is not one Samuel, there is not one Ezra, There's not one Moses, there's not one David or Joshua. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that there's probably not anyone in this congregation that is going to, to, to rise to the importance in the kingdom of God as those men. But I believe that there are nameless servants in here. People of minor significance, people of of relative obscurity that by simple obedience can have a major impact on the kingdom of God. Not because of who you are, but because of who our God is, that He has a propensity and it it is His MO to take people who are nobodies and use them to do great and mighty things. Because whenever nobodies do great and mighty things, God looks glorious. And that's what he does here. He takes a nameless servant and a woman and he impacts the kingdom of God in a way that is indescribable. I want to point out to you Abigail's plea because I believe that Abigail's plea reveals 
and, and describes what God is doing here for David. I think there are three facets to Abigail's plea, and I want us to see them, and I believe they all involve the providence of God. Now, I want to remind us that David has been running for his life for the last eight, ten chapters. Every time David turns around, Saul is throwing a spear at his head, or Saul is sending a bunch of people out to kill him, or Saul is, is, is trying to get uh, uh, the, the, the priest to betray him and turn him in. That God is continually, God is continually providing for, and God is continually delivering David. But David, because he's running for his life, oftentimes forgets how many times God has delivered him, how many times God has provided for him. And such is our lives. As we are in the thralls of of tumultuous times, as we are in the thralls of, of, of just hardships, sometimes it's easy to forget how many times God has delivered us. And so God sends Abigail. First and foremost, God sends Abigail to remind David of God's providence. Look at verse 28 and 29. As she begins to instruct David, as she begins to address David, look at what she says. She says, please forgive the transgression of your maidservants, and then she begins to talk. She says, I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't be approaching you, but I got something to say and you need to hear it. Verse 28, she says, for the Lord will certainly Make for my Lord, God will make for you, the Lord will make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you in all of your days. And should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in a bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. She begins and she addresses David and she says, God will continue to protect you. Be assured of this. Remember, David, be assured. I am affirming the protection and provision that God has provided for you. And I want you to know that he will continue to protect you and to provide for you. For someone who's been running for their lives, for someone who has been in the midst of of hardships and trials, it is encouraging to hear that God is continuing to fight for you. Some of us right now are in the thick of it. It's been one hardship after the next. It's been one trial after the next. And you're looking up and you're saying, I don't know if I can stand one more difficulty. I don't know if I can endure one more hardship. Here is the assurance of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am sending my Holy Spirit who will indwell you and who will abide with you and He will guard your heart and mind. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That He has told us that we, can, that, that we have comfort in Him. We have solace in Him. We have protection in Him. We have providence in Him. Trust in God that He will not leave you nor forsake you. That all those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast them out. There is the assurance of who God is. Abigail begins assuring David 
God is going to protect you. He always has. He always will. And then there's the affirmation, verse 30. There's the affirmation of God's promise to make David king. So she starts out saying God's going to protect you. He's always has. He always will. And then in verse 30, she says this. And it shall come about that when the Lord shall do for my Lord, according to all the good that that he has spoken concerning you, that he will appoint you ruler over Israel. Remember, David, God has protected you. He always will protect you. Not only has he protected you, he's going to make you king. Remember, David, God is going to make you king. God has appointed you and anointed you to be king over Israel. Sometimes we need the affirmation of God's promise. That you are a child of the king. You are an heir to the throne. That yes, right now you look like death warmed over. Right now you you look like and you feel like that the world is against you. But let me remind you, you are a child of the king. You are an heir to the throne. That God is fulfilling all of his promises in you and through you because of his great grace and his great mercy. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our eternity. Sometimes we need to be reminded that this world is not our home. Sometimes we need to be reminded not only of God's providence and God's protection, but of His promises. That one day, there is coming a day when there will be no more tears, when there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This morning, church, let me affirm, one, that God will always protect you and always provide for you, and two, let me affirm that His promises are true. That Jesus is King, and He's coming back for His own. The third thing, and this is, I think, the greatest teaching point in this text, is that Abigail provides for David the providence of God's protection and protecting David from his greatest enemy. And his greatest enemy is not the Philistines. It's not Goliath of Gath. It's not Saul. David's greatest enemy is David. Our greatest enemy in our daily lives is not those who seek to harm you. It's not those who speak evil against you. It's the evil that dwells within our own heart. My greatest enemy is not someone outside trying to subvert me. It's not someone trying to undo the ministry that I have tried so desperately to to preserve and protect. My greatest enemy is myself. And if we're honest with ourselves, our greatest enemy is not from outside. It's not the devil trying to destroy me. It's not those who speak ill of me or those who, who, who want to betray me. My greatest enemy, our greatest enemy, is the sin that dwells within each and, all of, each and every one of our own hearts. Notice what Jeremiah said. Chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah said, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick who can understand it. 
In the book of James, chapter 13 and 14, verses 13 and 14, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? By his own desires. Interestingly enough, we'll see later on in the story of David. David's greatest failure is when he wasn't protected from himself. It wasn't when the Philistines attacked It wasn't when Saul came and attacked his life and sought to kill him. David's greatest failure and greatest defeat was whenever he gave in to the sinful desires within his own heart. And that's why I believe in chapter 25, the greatest demonstration of God's providence and protection for David was when David was protected from himself. Abigail came to David and he said this. Abigail said, David, you cannot shed innocent blood. You cannot take matters into your own hand. You showed restraint against Saul. Now show restraint against this fool. And I'm sure that David in his own mind said, but you don't know what this fool has done. But I know what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2.15 says, for this is the will of God. By doing what's right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. It is not our responsibility to take matters into our own hands. It's not our responsibility to seek justice and to seek the vengeance of God. It is our responsibility to do what is right, to stand on principle, to stand on ethics, to stand on integrity, to be men and women who do what is right, who honor the Lord and trust that God will avenge us in His time. David was protected from himself. It's interesting. Left up to our own devices, we will always, always fail. The Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3 that we are all sinners. Romans chapter 6 says the wages of that sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2 said that we are by nature children of wrath. That left up to our own devices, we'll lie, cheat, and steal to do whatever we can to get ahead. But the grace of God is demonstrated in Romans chapter 5. It said, for God demonstrated His great love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that His grace has been poured out to us to protect us, not only from the wrath of God, but to protect us from ourselves. This morning, I believe that God has providentially, sovereignly protected us from ourselves. And He's done so through Christ. God is gracious. And He keeps us from sin. He protects us from the consequences of sin. And through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have promised from the deliverance of the power of sin over our lives. In just a few moments, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. And as we do, maybe God has protected you from 
yourself. Maybe you need protection from yourself. I want to invite you to this altar. You say, well, preacher, what are people going to think? I don't care what people think. Maybe you need this time to do business with God. Maybe you see the the consequences that are coming if you continue down this path. And you need to come to this altar and plead with God to protect you from yourself. Maybe this morning you realize that God has protected you through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and you need to give your life to Him. Surrender to Him. Cry out to Him for salvation. Don't leave this place today without doing business with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You that in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 25, that we see the assurance of God's protection and providence. That we see the affirmation of God's promise. And we see the realization of God's deliverance and God's protection from us, from ourselves. Well, there are those out there this morning who need to be protected from themselves. The course that they're on is a collision course for the consequences of sin. And in your great grace, through the shed blood of Jesus, you desire to protect them from themselves. Maybe God has already protected you from yourself. And you are so eternally grateful that you need to come to this altar and just thank you. Maybe you need to come to this altar saying, I've been trying to take matters into my own hands for far too long and I need to give it up to Jesus and trust in Him and Him alone for my salvation. During this time of invitation, may you find yourself obedient. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of what He's doing right here at Redeemer. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the ministries reaching out to our community with the gospel. Maybe God is calling you to be obedient by being baptized. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, may you do business with God. God, we thank you for this time together. We pray your Holy Spirit would move in this place. In Jesus' name.